Our second reading is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and it's found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to them, you shall love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your heart and mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them this question. What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David by the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David thus calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Here ends our reading. There have been many who have tried to glean clarifying truths from this passage in Matthew. Those who have tried to understand Jesus' relationship to the law and to the Pharisees, who at points in history have become code for all the Jews, there are those who would like to, to have clarity about whether Jesus saw himself not only as a descendant of David, but as the divine Son of God. These are old debates, old places of confusion, old certainties, difficult to be relieved of. As I was doing my own gleaning through scholars, Throwing aside theory after theory, oh, that can't be right. <laughs> I found myself exploring a refreshing and new path. Patrick Gray, a member of the International Society of New Testament Scholars, observed it is quite difficult to know precisely what Jesus is saying about the love commands. Rather than treating them as axioms from which all other commandments may be derived, as one would work out a geometric proof, it seems that Jesus is asserting that love is a test of one's understanding of the law. That love is a test of one's understanding of the law. And he goes on to offer the astute observation that Jesus' summary of the law is strikingly similar to the answer Rabbi Hillel gave to the same question. When a man challenged Hillel to teach him the whole of Torah while standing on one foot, the Babylonian Talmud reports Hillel's response as follows. 
That which is despicable to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. (laughs) The Talmud, for those of you who are not familiar, is a collection of sayings and teachings of ancient rabbis and commentary about those sayings. It's full of disputes about Jewish law, as well as stories and interpretations of scripture. For the ancient rabbis, of whom Rabbi Hillel was one, Torah was understood to be not only the five books written down that tradition attributed to Moses, the Torah, but there was also an oral Torah. As Jewish scholar Robert Goldenberg writes, Torah was the divine wisdom which had existed before the world came into being. Indeed, the blueprint according to which creation had followed its proper course. Torah included all possible knowledge of God's will, of the life the Creator intended for the chosen people to live. All things, from the most trivial to the most sublime, were within its realm. And he goes on to explain that the ancient rabbis taught that the revelation granted to Moses had been delivered in two forms, a smaller revelation in writing and the larger one kept oral. This oral Torah had been transmitted faithfully by leaders of each generation to their successors, by Moses to Joshua, and then to the elders, and then to the prophets, to the men of the great assembly, to the leaders of the Pharisees, and finally, to the earliest rabbis. After the fall of the second temple around 70 CE, began a project of collecting this oral Torah and writing it down. And this written version of the oral Torah and the commentary about it became the Talmud. So if tradition is correct, that the collecting began around 70 CE, then it also began around the same time that the Gospel of Matthew was written, and our narrative about the Pharisees testing Jesus about his knowledge of the law. The Pharisees are not presented in the best light in Matthew. There may be reasons for that to do with the Jewish Christians feeling persecuted by them, as is sometimes suggested. But the way they are often portrayed and dismissed is as overly attached to the law. Ridiculous, mean-spirited zealots trying to regulate everyone and everything, including routine activities. And a more charitable view of them might be that they were interested in finding unending possibilities for sanctifying all of life. When reading the the pages of the Talmud, the lineage of which says the Pharisees are a part, 
There is something more complex that comes to the surface than only an attachment to the law. Though it might be a legal question that begins a given debate, the focus doesn't end up being on an answer. Instead, the debate seems to be teaching the people from generation to generation how to study Torah, how to be in conversation with God. Or as Robert Goldenberg explains, the Talmud revealed God speaking to Israel, and so the Talmud became Israel's way to God. To study Talmud was to converse with the creator of the universe. Jews studied Talmud because the act brought them closer to the divine. The Talmud is not primarily interested in determining the law. It's not really about that. Though the Talmud earlier, through the Talmud, earlier generations speak to their successors and later generations can respond. The Talmudic tradition chronicles a people's ancient quest to find and understand it's God. So I wonder, is it possible the interchange between Jesus and the Pharisees wasn't really about the law, but about that ancient quest to find and understand God? This quest is what oriented their lives. In Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, there is a strong sense of hope that he finds in those Thessalonian people. He talks about sharing not only the gospel with them, but sharing part of himself with the people who have become dear to him. When sharing what orients his life, how could he not also be sharing his very self? And in doing so, he receives back a sense of community that helps him to continue with a renewed sense of purpose. Sometimes, even the most cynical of questions, when taken seriously, can break something open, revealing profound longings revealing our deepest selves. And I just wonder, could it have been such a moment between Jesus and the Pharisees when their deepest questions met? Could they have become dear to one another? For Jesus, his answer to how well we understand the law, how well we sanctify all of life, is love. If I am meeting the core of my adversary and recognizing it, recognizing that I am meeting their core, I hope there is love there. There is a misconception, perhaps not unlike one we have had of the Pharisees, that Christianity is about nailing stuff down so that we can feel safe that all the questions are answered. And certainly that is there. 
But my experience is the more we cycle through these liturgical seasons, the more we return to these old questions. We are participating in a practice of allowing ourselves to become dear, softening toward ourselves and toward one another. And it is there that we meet the one who gives us love. May it be so. Amen.